0: Lord, open our ears to hear the word that you have to speak to us tonight. Open my lips to speak it. We acknowledge that both of these things are impossible apart from your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have poured him out through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we are gathered and in whom we pray. Amen. Have a seat. Tonight, I would like to offer a word that I believe the Lord gave me uh, by searching the Scriptures being in prayer, listening to other leaders preach and talk about what is happening at resurrection in these days, and to offer a prophetic word about where we are now, where the Lord is taking us, and how we're going to get there. I believe that God is calling us to build a temple of prayer and praise, to be a meeting place of God and people. I believe he's calling us to build a temple of prayer and praise, to be a meeting place for God and people. So let's talk about where we are right now. I chose the Chronicles passage because I think it it provides an image for us of where we are as a people right now, as a church. What we see in this story is David, he's gathered together all of the people of Israel. It's at the end of his reign. He's about to hand over everything to Solomon. And he has gathered not only all the people, but he's gathered materials. He's made preparations so that the temple may be built. And when he's standing before them, he says, Do this work. Go now. Everything is ready. It is prepared. Do this work. Now, David had really, really, really wanted to do that work himself. He really wanted to build the temple. If you flip back a few chapters, you see there's a story that to me is like a cosmic poker game where David and God are playing and. And uh, David says, uh, I bid a house for you. And God says, I see your house, and I raise it an eternal kingdom. I fold, right? You <laughs> so. really, really wanted to build this temple. But God said, no, it'll be your son. So then David did the next best thing. He did everything he possibly could have done to prepare for the table to, for the temple except to lay the foundation himself so if you and i would encourage you if this is interesting to you at all check out the chapters in first chronicles and second chronicles that all have to do with the temple what you'll see there is david gathering raw materials the gold the wood the stones precious stones he's also writing up blueprints he's writing out the dimensions for the temple he's chosen the place for the temple where it's going to be put He's also uh, writing psalms this whole time, which will be used in the temple to provide the continuous praise, the sacrifice, the thanksgiving, which is why this whole project is in his heart to begin with. It's interesting that as he's working on a physical blueprint for the temple, David is also constructing a spiritual blueprint. And And he has ordered a system of priests by divisions who will rotate and trade off so that there will always be prayer and praise, sacrifices morning and night, thanksgiving, and the wondrous deeds of God being proclaimed in the temple all the time, continuously. Now, this is just for fun, a little side note. As I was looking around in these chapters, I noticed that in all the divisions, uh, the sum of each division came to 24. They were always divided into 24 parts, for whatever reason. It doesn't go into the details of why that is, But I find that interesting as we are about to embark on seasons of 24-7 prayer. What David wanted to do was have continual praise and thanksgiving, whether it was a festival time or not, whether there were people in the temple or not. Why? Because God was worthy of praise. And that was David's heart. He knew the Lord was worthy of praise. And all of the plans for the temple— Whether the physical plans or the spiritual plans, the psalms and the singing and the instruments that he created for the singers flowed out of his heart of love for the Lord God. And he passed that on to the people and he said, now it's your turn. Go and build this thing. The materials, the people, and the plans are here. And I think this describes where we're at as a church and and even as a diocese. As we stand on the cusp of a new season of intense prayer, evangelism, the enlisting of every person for the work to do this spiritual construction. Did you notice in the passage, probably not because you're hungry and tired and it was too long, sorry. Did you notice in the passage um, how he mentioned all the materials and the talents, the talents, the talents, which was for them a description of money, but it's no coincidence that resurrection you are rich in talents all kinds of talents and they're here they're ready to be assembled they're ready to be used in order to build a spiritual temple a temple of prayer and praise for the meeting place of God and his people a place that will be the locus of his presence a place where his glory will dwell and be revealed and others will be drawn into that glory that's the purpose for a temple that's what David wanted Here we are gathered in a similar way, and I think that is an image for us of where we are. But if we continue in the story and we flip forward a few chapters, I think God has given us an image of where he's taking us. So I want to talk about, okay, where are we going? Solomon starts to build the temple. It takes several years, uh, but it's built, and what he does is he calls everybody back. He says, come back, and let's dedicate the temple. It's built, it's marvelous, it's glorious. And when the people are all gathered, he says, God has been faithful to my father, David, who had it in his heart to build this temple, and we are seeing the fulfillment of the promises that God made to David. We are living in them now, and there are more promises yet to come and to be fulfilled. And they took up the ark that was in the tent, and they processed into the temple. And as they processed, the singers and the trumpeters played, there were 120 trumpets. I know there are 119 of you out there. I'm not the only one. And their purpose was to uh, allow the people to sing in unison. And what was the song that they sang? It was, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. So here they are proclaiming the faithfulness of God, His love that never fails. And they're singing that refrain over and over and over again. And they're not getting tired. That's the same song that we sang earlier tonight, by the way. You are good, you are good, and your love endures. And that song by Matt Redman is taken directly from this story of Solomon dedicating the temple. As well as the other songs that we sang too, that cry out for the glory of the Lord to come. So what happens is they process up into the temple, they're singing, they're blowing the trumpets, they're playing. And the cloud of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, comes and fills the temple so that they are not even able to continue in the ministry. And then Solomon gets up and he prays. And he prays. And again, check this out later. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he prays some beautiful prayers, essentially amounting to, God, when we come to this temple and pray to you, hear our prayers and do what we ask. And God answers he answers with fire. As soon as Solomon has finished praying, fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice that is on the altar. All of the people fall to their faces, prostrate on the ground. They're overwhelmed, and the glory of the Lord once again fills the temple. And they once again start singing, you are good and your mercy endures forever. That, I believe, is a picture of where God wants to take us. The glory that falls and fills the temple. Uh, a couple years ago, I was with some friends at a lake house in Iowa, some college friends, and a thunderstorm rolled in one night, and we were watching it on the dock out in the middle of the, of the lake, enjoying the sense of awe, the magnitude, the majesty, the feeling of the hair rising up on your arms when lightning was getting too close. Four of my friends were smart, and they headed back into the porch to watch from the safety of the house um, but John and I stayed out on the dock and we watched the lightning enjoying the magnitude being drawn to it and at the same time totally afraid that we were going to get zapped my friends from the house oh, well there was one lightning strike that must have been within a quarter of a mile it was close There was no delay between the flash and the boom. And the boom reverberated and it shook our our whole bodies. My friends who were watching from the porch said, it was like watching a strobe light show. And in one flicker, you guys were standing looking at the sky. And in the next flicker, John was bent over with his hands on his head screaming. And I had tucked under him resting in his (laughs) chest cavity. And we went back inside. That was awesome to be there in that moment, and we were terrified. And that was just a lightning storm. How much more when we stand or fall prostrate in the presence of the living God? And again, that's where He wants to bring us. God is calling us to build a temple of prayer and praise that we may see the glory of the Lord, that God might come among us in power. But aren't aren't we already a temple? I mean, the New Testament clearly says that the Church is the temple, and we individually are temples of the Holy Spirit. And isn't God already among us in power? Isn't His presence here? Well, yes, we do believe that. And that is an encouraging thought, and we must continue to take comfort in that thought, that His presence is already here, but we must not let that be an excuse for us not To seek the greater glory. Because there is a greater glory that we have not yet seen. That's why Jesus said, Pray, thy kingdom come until you see it come. That's why Paul prayed for us. And he said, I pray that out of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, you would know what is the incomparable power and the immeasurable riches that are for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you'd be filled with the love of God to all the fullness of God. We're not there yet. And that among you would be the same power that was at work when Christ Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what Paul prayed for us. We haven't seen the full glory yet. There's a greater glory yet to come. And until we see blind people healed, crippled people walking, good news preached to the poor in our midst, until we see the oppressed and the captive set free, there's a greater glory yet to come until we see prophetic visions on men and women, young and old, until we see multitudes coming to the Lord, until we see demons cast out and the dead raised, there's a greater glory yet to come. But in case we're getting too sensational here, how about this? Until there is an end of jealousy and bitterness and gossip among us, until there are no more divisions, Until there is no more backbiting, self-advancement, hard-heartedness, or anger among us. Until we are not so easily offended and take ourselves too seriously, there is a greater glory yet to come. Until we love one another out of a pure heart and deeply and earnestly from our heart, until we achieve the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for us in John 17, until that happens, there's a greater glory yet to come. But that is where God wants to take us, if we will take up the summons to build the temple of prayer and praise. But how do we get there? All right, so we've talked about where we are now, where I think the Lord wants to take us. How do we get there? What's the route? Well, every building, no matter how magnificent it becomes, no matter how ornate the outside and the magnificent the structure, all begins with the same simple yet very important first step. You lay a cornerstone. And this temple that we are about to build, whatever God is going to do with it, and the activity and the outpouring of of things is just too much for me to even now try to name or get my mind around, and indeed it's overwhelming. The things that He's going to do in our midst... We don't even need to worry about right now to name them or to try to go all do them right now. Instead, we need to say, what is the cornerstone that we need to lay? If the cornerstone is square and strong and true, the rest will follow. What is the cornerstone? As I was praying for tonight, I was asking the Lord if he had a word for us, a specific word. And I think this is it. This is what it sifted out to. That if the Lord were in our midst standing here, he would say, ask me and I will give you a heart like David's. That's our cornerstone. To build this temple, we must ask and seek the Lord to give us a heart like David had. I searched the scriptures in my mind and I cannot think of anyone in the Old or the New Testament who understood the first commandment in the way that David did, who loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, who said things like, One thing I ask, this alone I seek, to come into your house, to see your beauty, and to inquire of you in your temple. My heart says of you, seek your face. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. I wash my hands in innocence. I go round about your altar, singing the songs of thanksgiving and what you have done in our midst. I love your holy habitation, the place where your glory dwells. This was David's heart. It's a heart of worship. It's a heart of praise. It's a heart of prayer. I want to tell a quick story, um, and then I'll wrap up. There's a missionary whose name was Dean Sherman. He was a missionary with YWAM. In the 70s, he was stationed in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea. And in this city at that time, there were many churches, and they were relatively full, but he said... There was a hardness in the Christians, and many of them practiced witchcraft. Also, they were not seeing much fruit in their own work as a mission, so he began a season of prayer and fasting. At the end of it, he heard God say, Praise is the key to breaking down the spiritual forces that hold this city from the beginning of time. So he said, Okay, Lord, if that's your word, please confirm it. And then he tells a funny story about four different kooky traveling evangelists that he was kind of like unsure about, but welcomed it in as they came from four different countries. They all came successively in a manner of a few weeks and spoke the exact same words. Praise is the key to breaking through the spiritual forces of this city. So they said, all right, that's it. Let's start praising. And they turned their mission house into a little temple where they were continually praising God They were shouting, singing, laying prostrate. They were lifting up the name of Jesus. And that alone, that alone, the power of praising God, because he'd never been praised truly in that place before, that alone was enough to lift up and lift and push away the forces of darkness. He said the change was so evident. When we would go out on mission, people would repent of hardness of heart. They would weep and come to the Lord. They saw crippled people walking. They saw blind people healed. They had baptisms every week for three years. New Christians every week for three years. And in a span of six months, planted nine churches. They saw the glory of the Lord fall in their midst. So the temple that we are about to build is a spiritual temple. It is built by prayer. It is built for prayer. The heart of David is a heart of prayer. And the heart of prayer is knowing our Father in heaven and resting in His love and His presence. And if we look ahead to the book of Revelation that describes heaven, that's what we find. This is where God is ultimately leading us to the fullness of His love and His presence and His glory. That's why now we are called to build a spiritual temple of prayer and praise That's why now we are to be about this work. And it begins with a simple invitation from the Lord. Ask me, and I will give you a heart like David's. Amen.